I read recently about a man by the name of Sir Martin Conway, who lived around the turn of the 20th century. Conway was a well-known English art critic and politician, and he'd written several academic books on artists and artworks of the 1800s. He was also a professor of art at Cambridge University. What's interesting about Conway though, is that he was also a mountaineer and a cartographer, which meant that he not only climbed mountains, but he actually mapped them as well and created charts of areas of the world that had previously been unmapped before. In 1892, Conway famously broke the world record for reaching the highest peak on Earth at that point that any human had ever reached. And by the end of his mountaineering career, Conway had conquered three um, continents. He'd, he'd conquered mountains on three different continents in the world and, and he'd been knighted for his mapping of a very significant mountain range in the Himalayas. So knowing a thing or two about mountain climbing, Conway is famously quoted as saying, each fresh peak ascended teaches something. Each fresh peak ascended teaches something. You know, mountains have always had a strong connection with us humans over the years, haven't they? We, we like them for whatever reason. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's the sense of adventure and risk that we get from climbing a mountain. Maybe it's being outdoors and enjoying nature. Maybe it's just that exercise that you get in fresh air. Maybe it's the fact that mountains can be metaphors for life. Or maybe simply we just like climbing mountains to enjoy the view. <laughs> now, I must admit I am not much of a hiker, uh, and you might be able to tell that, uh, but I can say that when I have had the privilege of being on top of a mountain or somewhere very high, I get the sense just for that moment that I am somehow zoomed out of life, that I can see what's happening below me and around me and just for that moment I get perspective on things. Perspective on things in my life that might seem really big and intimidating and perhaps overwhelming at the time but from up high they don't seem as bad in the grand scheme of things. You know there's something spiritual about mountaintops as well isn't there? And whether that's the majestic views or um, the awesomeness of creation, or whatever it is, we, there's a sense of peace, isn't there, at the top of a mountain. There's a sense of escape from the busyness of the world and the busyness of life. And there's a, a connection with a greater power. And I suppose this is why mountains are used all around the world in all sorts of different religions as places of worship of places of retreat, reflection, and other spiritual practices. Mountains were actually really important in the Bible as well. We think of the moment, uh, for the moment of the example of Noah. The waters of the flood recede and Noah's ark comes to rest on Mount Ararat. And it's here where, where God meets Noah and, and God blesses Noah and his family and God promises Noah 
that nothing like that flood will ever happen again. And we, we fast forward through the biblical story um, several hundred years and Abraham is called up Mount Moriah and God calls him to bring Isaac, his one and only son, with him and to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah as a sign of faith and obedience to God. And of course, famously, God, at the very last possible moment, provides a substitute sacrifice so that God's promises through Abraham and Isaac and can be lived out through Isaac's son, Jacob, and their descendants, the Israelites. Fast forward many, many generations again, and, and Moses is called up a mountain, isn't he? Mount Sinai. And it's on Mount Sinai where God meets Moses and, and delivers him the Ten Commandments. This kind of blueprint for how God wants his people to live, but also how God wants his people to represent him in the world and to the nations who live around them. Now, Moses actually seems to be quite a fan of mountains, to be honest. <laughs> All through his life, he's kind of up and down mountains a lot. Uh, but at the very end of his life, Moses is once again called up a mountain, this time Mount Pisgah, uh, by God. And God reveals to him the promised land and kind of gives him a sneak peek of what his people are about to enter into. And it's actually at the top of Mount Pisgah where, where Moses dies at the age of 120. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine climbing a mountain at the age of 120? That's pretty impressive. Now you fast forward many, many, many years even still and we reach the story of Elijah. I don't know if you know the story of Elijah, but one of the key moments for Elijah was on top of a mountain, Mount Carmel actually. And it's here where Elijah challenges 450 prophets of the false god Baal to a contest. And it's in this contest where they're going to prove once and for all who is the one true God. And they, they set up identical altars with identical sacrifices on them. And, and the, the contest is to see whose God can light their sacrifice up with fire from the heavens. So the 450 prophets of Baal go first and, and they start doing their thing and they cry out to their God and they do all sorts of weird and wonderful, strange things to try and get their God to light up this sacrifice and nothing seems to be happening. And Elijah's kind of poking fun at them, you know, all this time saying, oh, you know, maybe he's gone to the toilet. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe you should um, leave a message after the tone sort of thing. And, uh, and nothing ends up happening. And of course, they kind of give up in the end and, and then it's Elijah's turn. And, and Elijah thinks that, okay, this, this challenge is actually too easy for my God. I'm going to make it even more difficult just to prove them. So he loads up the altar with rocks and boulders and, and pours water all over it just to make it even more miraculous. And then he says a simple prayer. And the God, the creator of the universe, lights this thing up like a big bonfire and every single skerrick of dust and rock and stone and water and wood and bull and everything that's on this altar is burnt to completely gone. And it's here at the, the summit of Mount Carmel where God proves once and for all that he is the one true God and he demonstrates his power to people. 
So it's, it's stories like these on mountaintops, which, which made mountains particularly significant for the Hebrew people. You see, mountains were where God met with his chosen representatives. And, and climbing a mountain kind of meant, meant that you were getting closer to God in heaven. And so, so these chosen representatives would, would climb a mountain to kind of meet God halfway between heaven and earth. And this is kind of demonstrated, I suppose, in the song by the psalmist in Psalm 121, where he says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So when you consider the significance of mountains in Jewish culture and tradition, you start to get an idea of how important Jesus' sermon on the mount actually was. Now, of course, Jesus wasn't really preaching from a big mountain like what you and I might think of. He was, he was probably more of a large hill. But even this is a significant thing, I think. You might ask, why did Jesus choose this hill? You could say, you know, Jesus chose this hill because maybe it was more accessible to people. Maybe it was easier for people to come and hear him speak. You could say maybe Jesus chose this hill because from the top of it, he could project his voice down and everyone would be able to hear him. Or you might say that Jesus chose this hill because there was just plenty of space to fit as many people as possible there. And these are probably all true. However, this is what I also think is probably true. God was once again meeting with his chosen representatives on this hill. And this time, instead of being, you know, super leaders like Abraham or Moses or Elijah, God had chosen the ordinary, regular, everyday people. And, and by choosing this hill, as opposed to a really tall mountain, God was demonstrating that he was willing to come all the way down to earth to meet with his people. And no longer did we have to climb mountains to meet with God and to hear from God and draw closer to God, but He was willing to meet us where we were at. And then Jesus preaches this famous Sermon on the Mount from this hill. And it's this Sermon on the Mount that we've been journeying through over the last several weeks. This kind of new and improved blueprint for how God sees his people representing him on this earth and with the people around them. And he, he kind of redefines who is blessed, doesn't he? And he, he reminds his followers that we are to be salt and light in this world. And he speaks about anger and adultery and divorce and vows and uh, revenge and ways that we should be treating others so that we reflect God's desire, his design, his blueprint for his people. Atop this mountain, this large hill, God was once again meeting with his people and perhaps they just didn't realize it yet. 
And at what can be seen as the climactic moment, the summit of this sermon, if you like, Jesus teaches on giving, prayer and fasting. You see, giving, prayer and fasting were all ways in which God had given his people to draw closer to him. And you you and I might call them these days spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. And as Jesus was teaching about them, he was actually assuming that his followers were already doing these things. And that's something really important for you and I to note when we read this as well. That Jesus was assuming that his followers will be practicing these spiritual disciplines regularly in order to draw closer to him. You see, when we give of our resources, when we give away what we have, our possessions to God or to other people in need, we are fighting against the temptation to rely on those things, those material things. And and we rely more, trust more in God. When When we give away of things that we own, we're making more room for God in our lives and therefore drawing closer to Him. When when we pray, when we spend regular time in prayer, we are literally spending time with God. We are allowed to communicate with God. And just like any other healthy relationship, He allows us to have a two-way conversation with the Creator of the universe. How incredible is that? And by doing so, we draw closer to Him. And fasting, fasting is a practice where um, you go without food or water or even both for a period of time. And biblical fasting happened as a response to a moment in life which was particularly sacred or even grievous. And it was designed to help us identify with the feelings of God about that circumstance in that moment. So in moments of a tragic death or a loss of a battle or even a significant sin that had been committed or an injustice of some sort. God's people were encouraged to fast so that they could identify with how God felt about that situation. And when they did so, they were drawn closer to Him. So think about that for a moment. Atop of this hill, having known what we know about mountains now in Hebrew culture, on top of this hill, Jesus was meeting with his people and teaching them how to draw closer to God. Isn't that so significant? So what did Jesus actually say? Well, his very first line in this part of the Sermon on the Mount actually summarizes this whole section on these things. And he says this, he says, don't do your good deeds publicly for the attention of others because you'll lose your reward from your Father in heaven. And then he he goes on to explain what those good deeds are. Now, of course, God had given these spiritual disciplines, these spiritual practices to his people so that they could draw closer to him. 
And yet these people were taking these same things and not drawing closer to God, but making themselves look good to other people. And Jesus was saying, that's not good enough. That's hypocrisy, he said. He said, you are hypocrites if you do that. You are saying one thing with your words and doing another with your actions. Regarding giving, he said, don't give in such a way that draws attention to yourselves. He says, the only benefit of that is that you're showing people that you're more concerned about their opinion of you than meaningfully engaging with God. Don't, don't give in such a way that draws attention to you. In fact, he says, when you give, not if, but when you give, do it secretly. Do it in private. And that way only God will see and your motives will be pure. Regarding prayer, he says, don't pray in such a way that draws attention to yourself. That's not what prayer is about. Don't use big fancy words or try your hardest to get these big theological ideas into your prayers or anything like that. All that does, that's not communicating with God. That's communicating to others about how good you are, about how smart you are, about how wise or spiritual you are. Jesus said that's not what prayer was designed for. That's not why God gave us prayer. In fact, he gave us an example in this moment on the Sermon on the Mount of a prayer that we can pray. And many of us know this prayer. He said, this is how you pray. He said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Regarding fasting, Jesus said, don't fast in such a way that draws attention to yourself and makes you look good in front of other people. And this one, I explain a little bit further. You see, the, the Jewish people at the time were fasting every Monday and every Thursday, every single week. And this seems probably okay, except that they were never told by God to fast every Monday and Thursday. All throughout the Old Testament, they're never actually commanded to do that. And so over time, this had become a religious ritual. Every single Monday and Thursday, they would fast and it had lost its meaning. And the religious leaders at the time would actually take it even further and would kind of go a bit over the top and and kind of dress up or actually dress down. They would get all dirty, they would muck up their hair, they'd wear terrible clothes and sackcloth and stuff and they'd kind of mope around town on these days. And, and Jesus said they had disheveled looks on their face. You know, they were deliberately miserable all day because they wanted everyone to know that that day they were fasting. So Jesus said, don't fast in such a way that draws attention to yourself like that. He said, that's, he kind of was implying that that's a, a waste of time. That's a waste of your hunger. You may as well just go and eat a cheeseburger or something, you know. <laughs> 
He said, if you're going to fast, do it to draw close to God. Do it to feel what God feels about sin, about death, about injustice in the world. That's why we should fast, to draw closer to Him, not to look good or super spiritual in front of other people. And he actually suggested that when we fast, we should do our hair up really nicely. We should wash our faces and wear clean clothes so that no one will know that we're actually fasting. Now, was Jesus saying that we should never pray in public? Was he saying that we should never tell anybody if we're fasting so that we can have their support and encouragement? Was he, was he saying that every single cent that we ever donate or give away to anybody anywhere should be completely anonymous and secret? No, no, he wasn't. What Jesus was saying is that when we practice these spiritual disciplines, we should know the motive of our hearts. We should know why we're doing them. You know, all through this series, we've talked about this, haven't we? In the Sermon on the Mount, because essentially that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. It's about the condition of our hearts. Many Christians, you and I, we, we practice most of these spiritual disciplines even today and, and others. And that is so good. That is such a good thing. And we would encourage that all day long. Jesus would encourage that all day long. But what Jesus is saying is every now and again, we need to check our motives on why we're doing things. Maybe we should ask the question, what brings me pleasure about being generous to others? What is it that brings me satisfaction in my prayer life or when I fast? Is it, is it because I'll look more spiritual to other people? Is it because I'll set a great example for other people? Is it because I'll feel good about myself? Or is it because these things are an act of worship in response to a God who is incredibly generous? A God who wants to communicate with us and wants to hear from us. A God who wants us to know how he's feeling about things. And a God who wants us to draw closer to him. I think if I were to ask myself why I give, perhaps I'd be more generous. If I was to ask myself, why I pray. Maybe I'd have a richer prayer life. If I was asked, if I asked myself, why would I fast? Perhaps I'd be more likely to do it at all. And just as we wrap up this Sermon on the Mount series, I wanted to just talk about one more mountain for a moment. In fact, it's not really a mountain. It was it was barely even a hill, to be honest with you. It was more like a large rock. But it was on this tiny hill where just like on Noah's mountain, 
God delivered a promise. A promise that if you and I accept Jesus into our lives, into our hearts, that we can be in His presence forever and enjoy His love, His grace, His peace forever and all of eternity. It was on this tiny hill where just like Abraham's mountain, God provided a substitute sacrifice so that you and I no longer have to pay the price of our sin. It was on this tiny hill where just like on Moses' mountain, God delivered a blueprint of how his people can be reconciled to him, how his people can be reconnected with their God. It was on this tiny hill where just like on Elijah's mountain, God demonstrated his ultimate power and that he is the one true God. It was on this tiny hill where just like on the Sermon on the Mount, God came down and, and met with his chosen representatives. But these representatives were normal, everyday, regular people like you and me. And in the ultimate act of humility that the world has ever seen, God came all the way down to earth, to that tiny hill where Jesus was killed on the cross on this tiny hill called Calvary. And this is what we're going to be reflecting on and celebrating next weekend at Easter. And that's the good news, isn't it? That, that God came all the way down to earth to meet us where we're at. And no longer do we have to climb up mountains to meet with Him or to draw closer to Him. But you know what? I still have a sense that us humans will still always find an excuse to climb mountains, even if it is just to enjoy the view.